All right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Wednesday night, uh, about to be Thursday morning as I'm recording this pretty late, just about to turn midnight here. Uh, as the Nuggets, they lose in pretty difficult fashion to the Utah Jazz 115-109. Uh, this was a game that I thought that Denver could definitely take. Rudy Gobert goes out with a non-COVID-related illness. That's basically a gift to the Nuggets that Jokic would have a pretty easy time in the paint, or at least drawing a a ton of attention in the paint, not necessarily an easy time. Uh, But he had an opportunity tonight to really set up his teammates in uh, just, just absolutely easy fashion, and it just did not translate. Uh, Once again, final score, 115-109. First segment, we're going to talk about Jokic. We're going to talk about the interior dominance versus the Jazz exterior scoring because I thought that that was a pretty interesting thing for the Nuggets tonight. Second segment, we'll talk about the backcourt, the backcourt problems that have been facing Denver. And then third segment, we're going to touch on the Mike Singer trade article that came out uh, from the Denver Post about how Denver is searching for some trade upgrades, which I'm definitely not surprised about. So, First things first, let's talk about this game, though. Denver loses 115-109. They were basically tied going into halftime. Once again, Denver kind of loses a third-quarter lead. Uh, They actually win the fourth quarter, but it wasn't by enough because they lost the third quarter 31-22. And the biggest reason for Denver's collapse there was because of the guard play. And I'll talk about them more specifically in the second segment, but it really underscored just how much attention that Jokic was consistently drawing in the first half and in the even in the third quarter and the fourth quarter. Whenever he would go into the paint, there were so many bodies in the paint, people. It was just so difficult for him to do anything at all because despite the fact that he had a pretty easy matchup against him, and the the stats kind of show it, he didn't have a lot of opportunities to score. The Jazz didn't give him a whole bunch of excess opportunities to get the ball. They collapsed on him immediately, and he had to fight through traffic. And what manifested was him actually passing out of double teams, triple teams, quadruple teams a lot. And in that third quarter in particular, Denver didn't capitalize. Uh, I thought that uh, Faku, Austin Rivers, Will Barton... Aaron Gordon took a a pretty tough three at one point. Uh, There was just a lot of unfortunate decisions made uh, while not capitalizing on what the interior interior dominance actually was because Jokic was doing his thing. He was absolutely going to work. Uh, Just looking at the shot chart here, it's pretty crazy to see how one player, despite there was... There was a lot of opportunities for him to do some other things. Uh, He took three shots outside the paint tonight, and they were all threes. One of them was a late shot clock or a late uh, quarter heave from the opposite free throw line. So he made one three-pointer. He missed another three-pointer, and the rest of his shots were in the paint. He was doing everything he could to punish the Jazz inside. And what actually manifested from that wasn't what I was hoping for. Uh, Utah, they scored 58 points in the paint. Denver scored 56. And you can see that from both perspectives here. First, from Denver's offensive side, 
Jokic was really the only guy in the paint for most of the night. Aaron Gordon had his moments at times. Will Barton and Monte Morris, they occasionally drove to the paint. Uh, but that was about it. And it really was just Jokic and, and him doing as much as he possibly could from that position. But the Jazz were able to weather the storm because on the other end of the floor, they were exploiting that size matchup with Jokic. And while Jokic in particular was doing a pretty good job, I thought that the rest of the team, when the rotations were being put together, when Jokic had to get some help uh, in order to cut off a certain driving lane or players pre-rotated and then the Jazz would throw to a vacant space and uh, Will Barton wouldn't close out in time or Faku Campazzo was doubling from across the court, leaving his man wide open, which he did in the third quarter. Uh, there were a lot of times where Denver was caught with their hands in the cookie jar, trying to on the on the defensive end, they're trying to make plays, and the Jazz were just rotating the ball ahead of them on a consistent basis. And it allowed for these driving lanes. It allowed for Despite the fact that Utah didn't have the size advantage, they were able to get into the paint pretty much at will. And that was Boyan Bogdanovich, that was Donovan Mitchell, that was Mike Conley, uh, Jordan Clarkson a little bit, but mostly mostly the aforementioned three. Uh, Bogdanovich kicked Aaron Gordon's butt tonight. Just straight up. Straight up just demolished him. And then when it wasn't Aaron Gordon, it was any other player that was switched on to him. Uh, 36 points for Boyan Bogdanovich, 13 rebounds, four assists. Royce O'Neal had 13 points, 11 rebounds, five assists. Denver's got to be able to match up with those guys better. Like, like they should not be like Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell. Those guys are, are obviously the, the two leading players, or they should be the two leading players for what the Nuggets should be having to worry about. And it didn't matter that they didn't go to Mike Conley, didn't go to Donovan Mitchell, whatnot. They went to Boyan Bogdanovich because he was beating Aaron Gordon up and down the court on a lot of these plays. And then when it wasn't Aaron Gordon on him, he was backing Monte Morris, Will Barton, Davon Reed, all those guys down into the post, taking advantage of a size mismatch and just absolutely putting on a show. And Denver had no answers for it. They really didn't. And Aaron Gordon dealing with that hamstring injury, he looks like he kind of aggravated it a little bit today. That is a little bit concerning. Uh, but Denver, like they they should be better in these cases where Rudy Gobert is out on the opposing team. Joe Ingles is out. Hassan Whiteside is out. Denver has a specific advantage that they can capitalize on that they're hoping to capitalize on on the offensive end where Jokic actually played a pretty good defensive game. Rudy Gay just happened to hit his shots. 18 points, 6 of 9 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3. He was a plus 14 off the bench in 29 minutes. That was a big deal. Rudy Gay was very, very good. And though he couldn't really defend Jokic by himself, the Nuggets were trading threes for twos at that early stage of the game. And they were losing. They they were losing, and then in the third quarter it was just a it was just a really big problem for Denver where they they couldn't capitalize on that rim pressure that Jokic was putting on them. 
whether it was Faku, whether it was Rivers. Uh, I thought Monte Morris came into the game, but we're, we're going to talk about the backcourt problems in the second segment. It's just too bad. I feel bad for Jokic. Like, how many times does a player in NBA history go for 26 points, 21 rebounds, and 11 assists? He was a minus one in this game, and it wasn't because of him. He switched on to Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Boyan late in the game, defended all three really well. But it didn't matter because Denver would then give up an offensive rebound, or they would take that possession and then not capitalize on it on the other end because somebody bricks a three. Uh, Denver, once again, shot 30.6% from three tonight. 11 made threes out of 36. If they make 13, then the game goes to overtime. But they didn't. They don't have enough talented shooters. It's too bad. Just not enough attention to be drawn on the perimeter right now away from Jokic, giving him opportunities to work his magic, do everything that he usually does. Um, This is where you miss Jamal Murray. It's where you miss Michael Porter Jr. Because if you have Porter out there, like among other players, he's a guy that can dump the ball into the post. And then if the Jazz immediately decide to double, because they're doubling on the catch, not necessarily even on like any dribbles. Like they were just as soon as Jokic got the ball in the post, they would double him. If you double off of Michael Porter Jr., Jokic is throwing the ball right back and Michael Porter is shooting a three, and he's probably hitting about 40 to 45% of them. Which would be really helpful in a game like tonight. Just extremely helpful. So Denver doesn't have that though. They are shorthanded, just like every other team in the NBA, but Denver possibly worst of all. They don't have the answers right now to the problems that other teams are presenting them. Because when teams double Jokic, Denver doesn't have a guy who can punish that. Will Barton was that guy earlier in the season. He's not really right now. That's too bad. It is, it's just too bad. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the backcourt problems for the Snuggets team. We'll be right back. Pickaxe and Roll, thank you so much for tuning in. Ryan Blackburn here, trying to uh, to navigate this loss, which I, I think a lot of people are... I'm, I'm generally pretty negative at this time. It's been really tough to stay positive in, in moments like these where you want the team to succeed. You are seeing the problems in front of you. There just hasn't been a player on Denver other than Jokic that has been able to step up on a consistent basis and fill the void left by Michael Porter and Jamal Murray. And it's too bad. It's it's too bad that we're at this point where the Nuggets are a good basketball team at times, and they're an atrocious basketball team at times. Because you can see the vision at various points, that when the offense is clicking, when the defense is locked in, then that's what happens when Denver gets these big leads. 
at times in these games. And then you see them give up those leads or like tonight where they kind of, they're kind of trailing the jazz for most of the game. I know it says that they were tied at various points and that they might've been up at various points, but it felt like the jazz had their, uh, they had their foot on the gas for most of the time offensively. And Denver just couldn't really keep up. Uh, it just didn't really matter what Denver did on the defensive end, that the the buttons that they tried to push could not work. And it's just frustrating because from my perspective, you see where this team was and you see where they were in their trajectory. And it's it's just a carrot dangling on a stick right in front of you that's just out of reach. And you're just thinking, okay, if, if only they're healthy. And then one guy goes down, and then another guy goes down, and then four other players go down at various points. And suddenly you're thinking about, wow, man, Jeff Green would have really made a difference in this game against the Utah Jazz. And it's actually true. Like, I think Jeff Green would have defended Boyan Bogdanovich pretty well because most of what Boyan did, he would drive into the paint or around the paint and find a comfortable place for him to shoot over the opposing player. Or he would draw fouls. And Jeff Green would have done a good job of neutralizing that, I think. It wouldn't have been perfect, and maybe you have other problems because they wouldn't necessarily have been able to do a great job there. But imagine Jeff Green on the offensive end, too, instead of Austin Rivers, and you have Jeff Green who's cutting to the basket on a consistent basis, making himself a big target Aaron Gordon doing the same thing on the other side of the court. Jokic would have had a much better time, in my opinion. They tried that a little bit with Jermichael Green at the four. I liked the idea. Jermichael Green's just the wrong player to do it with. You need somebody who's a little bit more mobile, who could get up and down the floor a little bit more, and who's just a better finisher than Jermichael Green, who frankly is just has not been a good basketball player this year. So but that's the front court. And we're going to talk about the back court because that is a far more pressing issue, in my opinion, at least until Jamal Murray comes back when, whenever that is. Uh, Denver just gets such drastically erratic contributions from everybody. There has been no consistent player. And maybe Monte Morris coming back, maybe him getting healthy, getting out of health and safety protocols could really help this group in, in terms of stabilizing it. I think there's a reason why he played 29 minutes tonight and Faku only played 20. It wasn't just because Monte was scoring well, it was because the offense was functioning well while he was out there, especially with Jokic. Barton was up and down. He was way down at the beginning of this game and through halftime, where I think he was like 2 of 10. He kind of lollygagged the third quarter buzzer beater as well, didn't quite get it off in time. Might have been helpful in like down the stretch if they were down by two as opposed to down by four when Monte Morris chucked up kind of a wild three right at the end of the game. Might have been helpful had they had an extra two points on the board. Will Barton didn't get those though because he was too late driving the ball up the court late in the third quarter. Um, It's one play. Like I don't want to go after Will here because I actually do think that he had a pretty solid game when it was all said and done. It was just that the beginning of it was so bad on offense and on defense where 
was being taken advantage of by Donovan Mitchell every time he got on him and uh, Boyan Bogdanovich anytime he got on him. For the most part, Denver wants to have Will Barton not defending anybody good. And that's a problem because Denver's kind of fallen pretty far here where they can't really put Will Barton on the opposing team's best player because that's just, it's never going to work at this stage in his uh, season. There were times in previous years where Denver could put Will Barton on a Devin Booker or even a Donovan Mitchell, and he'd do pretty well in those situations. I know that people like to remember the bad stuff. They like to just just grind that up, but Will Barton was once a, a pretty solid defender, and the downturn that he's shown on that end of the floor, and also as a rebounder this year, is just pretty bad. Has not been rebounding the ball well enough, and his ability to actually impact the defensive glass, I think really was a negative in this game. Rudy Gay gets three offensive rebounds. Royce O'Neal gets two offensive rebounds. Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell each get one. Barton at one point was competing for 10 rebounds a night or close to it on some nights. And I think that's one of the one of the things that's kind of gone with his diminishing athleticism and his needing to conserve energy for the offensive end of the floor as he's had to crash the glass less. That's a bad sign towards where Denver is going for now and in the future, because they're going to need the best version of Will Barton if they ever want to win a title. And I'm not sure they're going to get that version when it comes. Monte, like I said, off the bench, he was he was pretty good. Um, had a couple weird turnovers, had that late three uh, that was pretty weird. But other than that, like it's hard to complain about anything that Monte Morris does because he was just in position where he needed to be and was the only guy that was really hitting shots. He was one of two guys, him and Will, who hit multiple threes tonight. Monte hit five. He was five of nine. That's really good. That's a good night. 20 points, two assists. Perfectly fine. He was a plus three in a six-point loss, just to keep that in mind. Uh, Faku thought he was good in the first half and then thought he had an atrocious third quarter. Just horrendous. Um, Not entirely his fault. But he kind of – there are certain things that he can control and certain things that he can't control on the offensive end, on the defensive end. If some guy grabs a rebound over him and rebounds it and then puts it back up, kind of like Will, kind of like Monte, I'm not going to blame them for that on a consistent basis. Like It just happens within the flow of the game. He's 5'9". But if he takes a bad shot, if he pushes the tempo – in transition one too many times and tries to take somebody one on three in the fast break and then misses a layup, then that's a bad shot. It's it's just a bad decision. Had a couple bad turnovers as well, where it immediately led to jazz opportunities. And then one of the times, whether it was a missed layup, whether it was a turnover, 
when it was a miscue for him on the offensive end, he tried to chase down a defensive play and left his man entirely on the perimeter only for whoever he was chasing down, I think it was Jordan Clarkson, to pass out and hit the open guy who he just just decided to leave, trying to go for a steal, trying to go for a defensive play. He tried to go for the home run play and completely whiffed. And that's kind of how the third quarter felt, where he was doing some good things in the first half, especially with Joker in the pick and roll. And I like to see that with him. I think he's one of the better players on Denver's roster at just setting Jokic up where he wants the ball. But he doesn't get a lot of those opportunities. And when he's not doing that, it has not been good. Got five points out of that position tonight. That's not good enough. Nor is six points on seven shots from Austin Rivers good enough either. He was just straight up horrendous offensively the entire game. The decision-making that he made throughout this game on his drives, on his pass-outs, on his when to drive, when to shoot the three, when to hesitate, when not to hesitate, it was just all out of whack. And there was one where he, I thought he shot a three almost in protest on the catch because somebody on the team had told him, hey, shoot that and don't hesitate when you are when you're open. So the next time he grabs the ball, he's not actually open and he's kind of on the move. It's kind of like a 28 footer as opposed to a 24 footer. And he catches the ball and just chucks it up there, misses it badly. And just the way that he's playing, like he was, he was average defensively, had a great five minute stretch down, uh, down the stretch last five minutes of the game or so against Donovan Mitchell, against Mike Conley, rotating on the perimeter against Bogdanovich, whatever. Like he he did some good things down the stretch, but the rest of it was just meh. Like the rest of it was not a big deal. I think that he's going to be out of the rotation. I think Bones should play over him, uh, despite the fact that Rivers is a better defender, is a more reliable defender on most nights. I do think that River should play, or River should not play over Bones when it comes down to it. Um, and that's going to be a weird conversation to have because Rivers has been starting. He's been filling in in the first unit. I don't think that he should play over Davon Reed either. Like, I think that Davon Reed has been a better player. Bones. It's just been so erratic. Like you never really know what to expect from him game to game. Tonight it was three points on six shots, one of four from three. Kind of some curious three-point attempts once again. He's just a guy who he's going to stay confident in himself. He's going to continue to put pressure on the three-point line with his shots. But there are a couple of early shot clock shots that that I didn't like. Like he had a transition three that I didn't like. He had uh, he had a nice drive. I think it was against Eric Pascal, but he, he didn't finish the shot. And then on the defensive end, he just is taken advantage of consistently. Had three fouls tonight, and the primary reason for that is because he's not strong enough. And this was a problem I had with him at the draft. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I didn't think that he would be a good contributor to a contender, at least not at the outset. 
was because in situations like these, I think that he's going to be the guy that like when Jamal comes back and when the rotation actually gets small, he's not going to play. And were there other guys in the draft that would have played? I don't know. I like maybe I, I think Quentin Grimes was pretty good, but it's just tough to figure out here. I do think that Bones is going to be a good player. I think that he's going to be somebody that's needed, that's going to be a problem for a long time on the offensive end. But the defense is always going to be an issue until he hits an NBA weight room, until he really kind of tries to fill out his frame a little bit, get a little bit stronger, get a little bit smarter. And even then, like it's going to be a tough time getting to average, much less good. And Denver's going to need good perimeter defenders around Jokic to be championship caliber. And so I'm, I'm just a little bit worried about it. I've, it's going to be tough. And like I said earlier, Davon Reed, uh, not necessarily a good game from him. Thought he had a bad game. Um, he's usually more functional than how he was tonight. He did have a good cut, uh, did have a good steal against Donovan Mitchell. But that was just about it from the impact that he had. Um, not really given a lot of opportunities, not really like Denver's not moving the ball really well. And I think he'd be a good guy who would benefit from moving the ball pretty well, but Denver's not getting those opportunities on a consistent basis. And sometimes you're going to have games like tonight where Davon goes one of three, doesn't really make an impact. And you're like, okay, well, so what did he really do? Uh, I'm not really sure. Like he was just kind of out there. Didn't really affect the game one way or the other. And that's tough. That's that's a tough place to be. Things would all be easier if Jamal Murray was out there, kind of pushing everybody into their correct role. Right now, Will Barton's the lead playmaker as a guard. If he was the secondary guy, might make a little bit more sense. Monte Morris being the stud six man looked pretty good tonight. Plus three and 29 minutes off the bench. I think that's the role that he should be playing when Murray comes back where Murray's probably playing about, I don't know, 30 minutes. Monte's probably playing about 30 minutes as well. You don't want to cut his minutes necessarily. You just want to reallocate them to covering up for some of the weaknesses in Denver's roster. Because right now there are weaknesses. I don't think Austin Rivers should play. I don't think that Faku should be in the situation that he was in tonight where they needed him to be great and he just wasn't. I don't think that they should need Bones to be great either, but they do. And so having those guys kind of fighting it out for minutes, having Davon Reed and Austin Rivers fighting it out for minutes, that's probably a better place to be, in my opinion, uh, where you can pick whoever has the hotter hand between those guys. And that's about it. That's all you can really ask for in that situation. So hopefully this is a problem that kind of takes care of itself when Jamal comes back. Uh, it would be nice to see, what, but February 15th, February 25th, March 2nd, March 10th, whatever the date is going to actually be, uh, I will be looking forward to that day. I'm also going to be looking forward to February 10th, which is the trade deadline, because I do think that Denver is going to try to be aggressive here. And the Denver Post has a report on that, and we'll talk about it when we come back.
Back here, pickaxe and roll. Final segment. Thank you so much for tuning in. Okay, uh, talked about the game. It, it is what it is. Like Denver's injured. It's about, it's about all I got. Like they they should win some of these games, but sometimes they don't, and they should lose some of the games that they probably uh, win. So, was this a game that they should probably have won? Yes. Uh, it's not a big deal. The Denver Post. Uh, Mike Singer specifically today came out with a report that Denver is going to be active on the trade market. And I'm just going to read the quote here, the, the first couple lines from his piece that you should read. Amid mounting injuries, the Denver Nuggets are actively searching for ways to improve their roster ahead of the trade deadline, two sources told the Denver Post. With long-term injuries to both Michael Porter Jr. and P.J. Dozier, the Nuggets' primary target is a wing one source said. Outside of Will Barton, who can play small forward? Uh, outside of Will Barton, who could play small forward but is more of a traditional shooting guard, the Nuggets roster is devoid of any true wings. Uh, which is true. That is, that is a true quote. And the Nuggets are in a situation right now where he, if I were looking at their playoff rotation, given that Michael Porter is not going to be back in all likelihood after we spoke to Gordon Gross on this last night. Uh, given that P.J. Dozier, we know what his timetable is. He's not going to be back. Um, here's where the, the rotation currently stands right now. You've got five guards. Jamal Murray, Monte Morris, Faku Campazzo, Bones Highland, Austin Rivers. You've got two wings. You've got Will Barton and 10-day hardship exception, Davon Reed. You've got three forwards, Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, Zeke Naji. And you've got two bigs, Nikola Jokic and Jamichael Green. I think it's fair to not really think about any other player on the roster as a serious consideration for playing time. Jamal Murray will be back. He will be considered for the playoff rotation. I think that that's fair. Um, and then beyond that, you just kind of... You see that the guard rotation looks a lot better in that case. If Monte is the second best guard and Faku or Bones is the third best guard, then you feel a little bit better. But Will Barton being the best wing, a little bit sketchy. Davon Reed being the second best wing, that's not good. Denver has to figure that out if they are going to actually try to win a title this year. Now, there are some that would say, hey, you don't necessarily have to try to win a title this year, and it doesn't necessarily make sense to go for it. But if you get a guy on the wing who is not just here for next year, but could be here next year too, so that you're not necessarily relying on P.J. Dozier coming back healthy, you're not necessarily putting too much pressure on Michael Porter, uh, you just want to have a good, solid roster that is functional, even if some guys are missing at times. And the wing position is one of those. That would really, really be helpful. Now, a two-way wing would be great, but it would be great for every team in the NBA. So it's not going to be a cheap thing. 
or Denver's going to have to find the right target at the right price. A defensive big is also something that was listed in the article. They said that they were going to target a big that could match up with the opposing teams that, that like to play with size. Uh, so if, if another team has a backup seven-footer that is giving Denver problems, then having a seven-footer to match up there makes a lot of sense. So here are some wing target ideas that I, I tweeted out this afternoon that I wanted people to be mindful of. Justin Holiday, Tory Craig, Kenrich Williams, Alec Burks, Reggie Bullock, and Josh Richardson. Now, some of those guys may or may not be available, and this is the thing that I, I think is really difficult about the NBA trade deadline right now, is that you don't know which teams are willing to sell. You don't know which teams, based off of the, the play-in um, extravaganza that goes on from 7 to 10, that has really diluted the market in terms of or actually not diluted. It's really like restricted the market in terms of which teams are actually willing to give up value and just tank the season. Now, I think that the Indiana Pacers are they should be willing to listen to offers for a guy like Justin Holiday, a guy like Tory Craig who Denver's absolutely familiar with. Justin Holiday 36% three-point shooter before tonight's one of nine extravaganza against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Torrey Craig, not a good three-point shooter, as Nuggets fans know. He's never going to be a three-point shooter, but he gives them more playable size. Uh, so maybe a decent option to at least get somebody that you're familiar with. If it were up to me, I'd throw maybe two second-round picks and then matching salary at a guy like Justin Holiday. I think it makes some sense whether it's like Austin Rivers and Bull Bull or Faku Campazo and Bull Bull, uh, Jermichael Green, etc. Like, I think there are ways that Denver could match that salary because he has $6 million due this year, $6 million due next year, and it would make some sense to uh, target a guy like that who could be relatively cheap for a team next year and play a, a significant role. Uh, Torrey Craig also signed for next year with a player option, I'm pretty sure. And that's a, a good solid contract to have for next season. Another guy that's under contract next season, Kenrich Williams. He's on basically a minimum deal with the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder and would be very good for Denver on both the offensive and defensive ends. He's an extremely versatile player somebody who can defend up and down the floor, whether he's defending Carl Anthony Towns or defending Chris Paul. I feel like he's a guy at 6'6", strong, athletic, smart. He's a guy kind of like P.J. Tucker that he's, he's also a better offensive player than P.J. Tucker, so that's really good. But a guy kind of in that mold who's thick, stocky, but also intelligent, on the defensive end, are willing to do a whole bunch of different things. He's a hustle guy. Um, and then you get into some veterans here that I'm not sure are going to be available or not. Alec Burks of the New York Knicks. Not sure what the Knicks are going to do, but let me just check the standings here real quick. Um, let's refresh. Make sure that I've got this refreshed. They, along with the Boston Celtics, 
are tied for 10th at 18 and 20 in the East. They're probably going to be pretty, um, well, it's, it's funny. So they're like five and 14 versus 500 and above teams. And they're 13 and six versus 500 and below. So they're an average team. They're clearly an average team. And I don't think that they have a lot of upward mobility. So if they continue to be subpar, then it's possible that they they trade off a piece here or there that makes some sense for them. But I don't know. I don't know what they're going to want to do. They seem like a team that's very committed to trying to win. And Alec Burks helps a team win. He's a very like he's kind of like Will Barton, just a little bit more defensive minded right now, um, which I think is a good player for Denver to add. Uh, Reggie Bullock is also a guy in Dallas who I doubt that they'd be willing to trade. But I do think that given that he shot 30% from three this year, given that they have high expectations and he's not necessarily a guy that they have to keep, like they could keep uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., they could keep uh, Jalen Brunson still, they have Dorian Finney-Smith, they have all these other guys on the wing that are going to be playing more in all likelihood. They don't necessarily need Reggie Bullock to be that guy. So at least giving a call. To the Mavericks might not be a bad idea. And then Josh Richardson of the Celtics. Like I said, they're tied at 18 and 20, but they also have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. They have Aaron Neesmith, who's a young guy that they, I'm sure, would like to play. They have Romeo Langford, who's another guy that they drafted, who I'm sure they'd like to play. Josh Richardson has been helpful for them, but if they're not going anywhere, then it might be in Boston's best interest to kind of recoup an asset for a guy like Josh Richardson and then maybe try to center things around Aaron Neesmith or somebody else on their team. I'm kind of spitballing here. That seems like a like it's it probably sounds like a stretch to some people, but Richardson is still a good player. All of these guys to me, they represent seventh man seventh or eighth man who can really fill in a role at about 25 minutes a night off the bench along with a Monte Morris. And those two guys along with another big would kind of fill in what Denver needs. I think it makes sense. I think that that functionally makes sense for Denver. And let's talk about the bigs then. So a big Denver could either go for a player that's more of a true five, somebody who's more of a rim protector but isn't going to play next to Jokic, or they could go for a four five, somebody who's more in the mold of a, like almost like a Jermichael Green, but just better. Um, Maybe a little bit taller, maybe a little bit better of a shooter, but still in the same mindset, still in the same ballpark. Daniel Tice is kind of like that. He's a willing shooter. Not necessarily shooting it well this year, but he's actually got pretty decent defensive numbers despite playing for the Houston Rockets, who are an abject disaster on defense. Now, that's probably their guards. Like they play Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Eric Gordon, Armani Brooks, and a whole bunch of nothing on the perimeter there. And it's got to be tough for any big man to really de- defend. In that circumstance. So if if you're in Denver, if you have a Daniel Tyson Denver instead, 
then maybe he looks a little bit different. DeMarcus Cousins was just waived by the Milwaukee Bucks. He would be somebody that isn't necessarily a trade target, but is more in the um more in the cheaper kind of you you wave a bull bull or a, a Vlaco Chanchar or somebody like that. You replace them with a DeMarcus Cousins on the roster. And you just kind of go forward from there and see what happens. Like that's what I would consider if I were Denver. Um I don't think that like DeMarcus would probably be amenable to that. I'd have to imagine. But I'm not sure if Denver wants that. I'm not sure if they they want a kind of a lumbering big man. I think they want somebody who's more athletic. Uh, a Tony Bradley type might be more athletic. Somebody who's above the rim, can block shots on the defensive end, rebound well, catch alley-oops, things like that. Tony Bradley makes sense from the Chicago Bulls. I'm not sure if they'd be willing to deal him because they're competing for a title, but he's still kind of the, the deep backup to a guy like Nikola Vucevic. Maybe they'd want a Jamichael Green. Maybe they'd want somebody with a little bit more size, um, kind of a, a, a bigger forward with size, because they're kind of devoid of players like that. Not sure. Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel also come to mind with these uh, New York Knicks. Not sure what they're going to do, but if they do decide to give up some pieces, maybe an Alec Burks and Mitchell Robinson for Jamichael Green, Zeke Naji, and a first-round pick makes sense, something like that. Like, just spitballing here. I think that, that seems to make some sense. Um, Nerlens Noel. Same thing. Like he's also a very functional center. Would be very helpful for a team like Denver. Chris Boucher, more of a 4-5. Not necessarily a true 5, but is more of a, a skinnier 5. Somebody who stretches the floor a little bit, blocks some shots, but isn't necessarily a a lumbering big in any way. Kelly Olenek, not necessarily a defender, but more of a an offensive fulcrum type who's... Currently on the Detroit Pistons, not sure what they want with him. Seems like he could be a guy that they want to trade. I think that Denver should at least be interested in something like that because that is an upgrade. And Portland guys, last last guys here before we get out of here. Larry Nance, Robert Covington, maybe even Yusuf Nurkic. How would Nuggets fans feel about that? Because Portland, I'm sure that they're about to blow it up. Like, if they don't, they'd be insane. This is the right time for them to blow it up, for them to trade Damian Lillard, for them to try to capitalize on value. And they're not going to in all likelihood, but if they were, then you'd probably have some of these veterans, whether it was Nance, whether it was Covington, whether it was Yusuf Nurkic, who might be had for an asset and a matching salary, a young player and a contract. I don't know. Like, there could be a deal there. So if Larry Nance is somebody that Denver is fond of, or Robert Covington makes sense as kind of a functional replacement for Jermichael Green where they go smaller, or if it's Yusuf Nurkic and you try to go crazy, uh, even Cody Zeller, by the way, that's somebody who I know that Matt Moore is very fond of and would be interesting in a Nuggets uniform in a brief, uh, brief spurts. But either way, I do think that Denver has some interesting ideas that they could go for. 
They don't have a lot of assets. They don't they don't have a lot of flexibility, but it just takes the right team, just takes the right motivation. If the Nuggets believe that they're going to get back Murray and they're going to feel pretty good, they're going to look pretty good. If they think that that's true, then I think they owe it to themselves to add a wing, especially, who can be there not just this year, but next year too, to try to bolster the rotation while Michael Porter works his way back. I think that's fair to everybody involved, and I think the Nuggets should absolutely explore it because you may not get a better opportunity than the guys that are available now. Might be tough. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Apologies for not necessarily covering this game in in super depth. Um, Just thought that this was a more interesting topic and that it's been pretty difficult to cover uh, some of the losses and some of the ups and downs for Denver right now. So I will have Matt Moron tomorrow. And that's Matt Moron is pretty funny. Uh, I will have Matt Moore on the program tomorrow. And we're going to talk about all-star teams. I think that that should be an interesting conversation and we should have some, some fun with it for sure. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I will talk to you guys tomorrow.